0: We're calling a little bit of an audible tonight. David Massey is not well. I mean, we've known that for a while, but physically physically he's not feeling well. he's got a very bad sore throat, blah blah blah. Um, so what I, what i i and I was already leaning towards doing this anyway, so it just sort of confirmed that this is what I wanted to do. Uh, he talked last week about making observations, and then he said, the next." The last two nights, this is one of them, we'll we'll talk about, after we make the observations, we'll talk about interpretation and application, and we're going to dive into that tonight, but we're going to do it not in an an academic or instructional way. Observations lend itself to that sort of a teaching methodology better than interpretation and application. Interpretation and application, uh, I really believe, requires us to roll up our sleeves and just do it together. Some of you are going to find tonight like just heavy slugging it out. Others of you are going to say, "Yes, finally, we're doing exactly what I thought we were going to do during this um, during this uh, this uh, series that you're doing on how to read the Bible for all it's worth." So I know we'll have varying reactions tonight, but we're just going to slug it out tonight. We're going to grind away on this. We're going to. Um, Spend some time making uh, some uh, uh, setting up the context of the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. We're going to spend some time setting up the context of that using one source, just one source. So you know, again, I, I go back to the idea of you walk into a pastor's office and it's this huge library, uh, half of the books which of which. Uh, he he hasn't read. He just has them there to intimidate you and impress you. But you, And you think, well, how could I ever understand this stuff? Uh, I'm going to show you tonight with just one source that many of you have in your hands right now. Michael's got his right here, the ESV Bible, uh, Study Bible. Just one source, the introductory essay for the letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi. It's four and a half pages long. It'll take an average or below average reader like me about 20 minutes to read. And you're going to be going, really? You can get all of that just from that little introductory essay? And the answer is yes. It's really, really helpful. So we'll do that. And then we're actually going to read through the entire letter uh, to the church in Philippi. And you're like, we 're going to read an entire book of the Bible tonight. How is that possible you 'll see and, and we 're just going to make some observations along the way we 're going to uh, we 're going to make observations, interpretations, and application along the way we won 't do them all okay really to teach Philippians in its complete depth. It would take an eight to ten week series uh, to be able to do that but you 're going to get a flavor for what we 're trying to do, and the thing that i 'm going to really like about tonight is that really we should get used to reading large blocks of scripture together at once and like an entire letter. Paul wrote this entire letter to the church in Philippi for them to read in one sitting and to read over and over and over in one sitting. And so that's the way we're going to read it tonight. And then hopefully if there's time, I will do the same exercise with the book of Amos, an Old Testament, what's known as a minor prophet. We'll do the background stuff, the Uh, Not the observations, interpretation, application, but we'll do all the background stuff, again, that I just got from my ESV Bible study Bible, and then you can go and read Amos on your own. It's a great book, uh, but I won't take you through the entire book of Amos as well. That one's nine chapters, but it's it's a great book, and you'll get a flavor for it. And you'll walk out of here, though, I think, if you've never read an Old Testament prophet book, because you don't get it, and, and it's intimidating, and you don't understand it, and all that stuff, you can walk out of here tonight and read Amos and know exactly what's going on, just based on on what we're going to do. So, And then if there's any time left after that, we'll talk about some other things. But um, uh, generally, if we can get through the Philippians thing and maybe just do the background on Amos, I think that would be good. So any questions or thoughts before we dive into this? Okay, so um, uh, the introduction to Philippians from the ESV Study Bible. Now... <sighs> for whatever reason the letters in in the new testament are called epistles. What is an epistle? What anybody know why they're What is that? Okay, some people I know, some people have said th- well they're the, they're the wives of the apostles. I get all of that. That's not what it is. But an epistle is actually a literary genre. It's a Greek letter that has a fairly standard form and structure to it which we'll get into in a minute. It's it's um it, you'll recognize it as a letter but it's a little bit different than the letters we might write uh today. Although letter writing is kind of a lost art in the day in these days of digital communication now we write emails and texts and you have to do stuff in under 140 characters and all that stuff. But anyway, you're going to see there's a definite structure. So, uh in this essay titled The Introduction to Philippians, there are all these different headings and we're going to go through each heading. The first heading is author and title. So they tell you that the author is Paul. Well, who's Paul? Paul is one of the apostles, but he's not an original one of the 12 apostles. And you may say, well, what does that mean? You can dive into the story and look at that story uh, yourself and I'll tell you how to get directed to that. And you can be directed to that uh, in these uh, introductory essays, okay? Um, but one of the things you can do immediately is, okay, so who's the author? Paul. I've heard of him. He's an apostle. People talk about him in church. He he wrote parts of the New Testament. I've heard that name. Where can I go to find out more information about Paul? Two places. One, that Nelson's Bible dictionary that I showed you the first night. You can go and look up Paul in in the Ps, okay? And one of the longer essays um, in the Bible dictionary will be on, a, on somebody like Paul. He'll have one of the longer essays, and it'll be three, four, five pages long. You could, again, read it in 20, 25 minutes, but it'll be very helpful for you to understand who Paul is. They'll give you a, a, a kind of a, 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 a panoptic view of his life, and then the second place you can go to figure out who Paul is. Now, I know some of you right away, you're going, this is already way too complicated. No, it's not. This is exciting, exciting stuff, okay? So the second place where you can go to learn all about Paul is in the biblical book Acts. We talked a little bit about the book of Acts last week. It's known as the Acts of the Apostles. It's the story of what happens after Jesus ascends uh, into heaven um, after his resurrection. It's how the church gets started. Some people have said The title, The Acts of the Apostles, is wrong. It's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit leading the church through this stuff. But if you read through the book of Acts, it's just a narrative account or story, true historical story, of how the church got started and essentially the first 30 years of the Christian church in this entire Mediterranean area, starting with Jerusalem down here in the lower right-hand corner and how it eventually grew up into this entire Mediterranean area and into Italy, certainly with Rome, and Rome will come up tonight in the, in the letter um, to the Philippians. So, you are introduced to Paul in Acts at the end of Acts chapter seven. Okay, um, the story goes. Some of you know this story. Uh, Stephen. Who was just elected as one of the deacons in the early church? So, if you're a new deacon and you're here tonight, this probably won't happen to you. But anyway, he gets up and he preaches to a lot of the Jewish religious leaders, who get very angry at him, and and decide that that he needs to die. And so they stone him. And the way you would stone in old Te- or New Testament times is you would you would grab the guy. And you would drag him out of town and you would throw him into a ditch or a gully and then you would throw very large rocks, the two-handed rocks on him and you just keep throwing the rocks on him until he died. And and um, the, the story is that uh, Stephen looks up and right before he dies, he sees heaven opening up and, and he's being beckoned up in into heaven. So, uh, Paul, whose name is Saul at this point, Paul's original name was Saul. Paul is a is a, um, uh, a Jewish guy, so his... Real name is Saul, and at this time in Acts, he's known as Saul. And Luke, the author of Acts, gives us just a little uh, uh, opening into into the fact that he's going to be introducing this guy as a main character in the book of Acts the rest of the way. He says, and Saul was standing there giving his approval to the stoning of Stephen and collecting the cloaks of the men who were stoning. In other words, the guys had on their outer cloak and their inner cloak, that's the way they would dress, and in order to stone Stephen with as much flexibility and range as they could, they had to take off their outer cloak and they would lay it at Saul's feet. And he was like, he was like the coat man in a fine New York restaurant. He was in, and he gave him a little, I don't know if he gave him a little tag, but anyway, he was keeping track of the coats there. And they would go and stone Stephen and then they'd come back and Paul would give him their outer cloak back. So you just get introduced to him there, but he's giving his approval. He's antagonistic towards Christianity and the church. And then in Acts chapter 9, we have that magnificent story of Paul going to the religious Jewish authorities and saying, I want letters that give me um, uh, the authority to go up to Damascus, which is up there north of of Jerusalem, up near uh, Syrian Antioch. It's not on this map, Um, but it's up there all all the way over on the right. I'm going to go up there because this Christian way movement has gained a lot of traction and there's a big church up there now and I want to go up there and drag some of those Jews out of there who have abandoned their Judaism and have uh, and have started to follow this Jesus character I want to drag them out and put them on trial and execute them kill them like we did with Stephen um, because they are blaspheming Yahweh And so they give him the letters, and he goes up. This is Paul on the road to Damascus. It's a famous story. And that's where he meets Jesus. He encounters Jesus. Uh, Jesus appears as a light, knocks him off of the donkey or the horse that he's on, blinds him. And, and uh, they have a dialogue, and Jesus and Paul is converted to Christianity. He goes into town, into Damascus, uh, hangs out with a guy named Ananias for a little while who makes the scales fall from his eyes, and now he can see. And the next thing you know, Paul is is preaching the gospel to people. So that's chapter 9. Then you have chapters 10, 11, 12, and, uh, 10, 11 and 12, and those chapters are about Peter and a little bit about James and some other stuff with Peter. And then chapter 13 of Acts, from chapter 13 of Acts on through chapter 28, Paul is the main human character in the book of Acts. So everything from chapter 13 on, chapter 13 starts with Paul getting, um, um, uh, getting Barnabas and the authority of and some other guys, including Mark, by the way, and the authority of the church. They send them out to do some missionary work and plant churches in that Asia Minor area. Okay. So you see Asia Minor, Galatia, Colossae, they're going to go out and they're going to plant some churches around in that area. And uh, early in chapter 13, um, you see that um, uh, Luke says, Saul, who was also known as Paul, and then he's called Paul for the rest of the way in Acts. And the rest of the book of Acts centers around primarily the, the activity that the Holy Spirit is doing through Paul. In chapter 16 of, of Acts, Paul and Silas go into Philippi, and they start a church in Philippi. Philippi is up there at the very top of this map in the middle. You can see it up there. It's on the Mediterranean. It's a significant Roman colony. It's up there. They are up there and they, in, in Acts chapter 16, and they plant the church there, Okay. And uh, while they're planting the church, and there's a Christian church there now that Paul and Silas did, while they're planting the church, Acts 6, chapter 16 tells us that they exercised a demon out of, a, out of a, a young woman who was making money for her masters, and that upset their masters because um, that took away their master's way of earning a living. And so they got, really, they got the authorities in Philippi riled up against Paul and Silas, and they got thrown into prison. Another great story. This is good stuff. I just, you know, I want you to read this stuff if you haven't ever read it, okay? And so they throw them into prison and they're beaten. They're beaten within an inch of their life and thrown into prison. And it says that around midnight, Paul and Silas are in prison, in chains, beaten, and they're singing hymns and praises to God. What kind of a testimony is that to the people who are listening, okay? And then an earthquake happens and the prison doors are flung open and the chains break off of Paul and Silas and and the, the jailer, the Philippian jailer, draws his sword To kill himself because if you're, uh, uh, the Philippian jailer is a Roman centurion or a Roman soldier. and uh, Because Philippi is part of the Roman Empire. And if you are a Roman soldier or a Roman centurion and you have prisoners in your charge and they get away, you are supposed to take the place of the prisoners and kill yourself. So he draws his sword to kill himself, to fall on his sword and kill himself, which was kind of a fairly normal thing to do when that happened. And, And Paul and Silas yell, hey, if you're out there, don't fall on your sword. We didn't escape. We're still here. And that, and, and so the, jailer, the jailer's like, what's wrong with you? You should have left, you know. Well, we can't because, you know, we, we understand the authority of the government and all that. We're Christians and all that. And their testimony to the Philippian jailer leads his entire family to Christ and they get baptized. It's a magnificent story. So um, anyway, if you're ever in prison, you can follow that. So anyway, then chapter 16 on and it just talks about Paul and Paul eventually at the end of the book of Romans chapter 28, he ends up in prison in Rome. You have to read that story. It's also magnificent. But he ends up in in the year 58 AD. He's been now ministering for nearly 20 years. He's been a Christian for nearly 20 years and in 58 AD, he ends up in Rome in prison. And it's a great story and then that's kind of where the book of Acts ends. So... Philippians is is a letter written to a church that Paul planted okay in Philippi so we'll unpack more of those details in a minute and of course the title of this letter is Philippians because it was written to the church in Philippi the next major um, section is date now now the um, editors of the uh, ESV want to tell you when it was written so you can contextualize it historically and uh, after, some, after a lot of what I would consider unnecessary um, conversation in that section, it's only unnecessary because I've read this a million times, but uh, the first time you read it, it's helpful, but eventually they fall down on the, on the correct date of, of when, um, when and where it was written. It was written in the year 62 A.D., and Paul wrote it from his prison cell in Rome. While he was waiting to be executed in Rome for his faith. Now, what's interesting is he eventually gets out this first time of prison in Rome. He gets out and he goes and does some other stuff. Other church historians have recorded vaguely what he might have done, but then in the year 64, he gets rearrested by the Roman authorities for proclaiming that Christ is Lord. That is sedition because Caesar's supposed to be Lord, right? So they rearrest him. He's back in prison in 64 and 65 A.D. in Rome. And in 65 A.D., Paul the Apostle is executed for his faith. And then around 66 or 67 A.D., the Apostle Peter also gets executed. They took Peter outside of Rome. I know I'm a little off topic, but I love this stuff because it's important for you to understand this and know this if you don't know it. But they took Peter outside of Rome and they said, we're going to crucify you just like your Savior your supposed savior jesus and the romans were experts at crucifixion and and peter said <clears throat> it's recorded that peter said this is not in the bible this is christian history it's recorded that peter said i refuse to be uh executed in the same manner that my lord was i do not want to dishonor my lord by being executed that way so would you please crucify me upside down and they oblo- which is If there's anything worse than being crucified, it's being crucified upside down. And so Peter was actually crucified upside down. Peter was the bishop or the priest or the pastor of the church at Rome at the time. They took him out and they killed him um, uh, at that time. So Paul writes this letter 62 A.D. from the Roman prison. We know that that means that he wrote it late in his life. He was executed in 65 um, uh, A.D., Um, It's one of his later letters. Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. Some might argue 14 if they think uh, he wrote Hebrews. I don't think he wrote Hebrews. Nobody really, only God knows who wrote Hebrews. Um, So it's a later letter and it's one of the, what's known, I'm getting all of this from this introductory essay. It's uh, known as one of his prison epistles, one of his prison letters. He also wrote to the church at Colossae, Colossians. He wrote um, to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians. He wrote first and second Timothy, so these are letters to Timothy, uh, who was the pastor of of F the church in Ephesus at the time. He wrote to Titus, who was the pastor of um the island church. what's the name of that? Do you remember he was a pastor of the island church Patmos maybe um and uh, and he wrote Philemon, all from prison later on in his life, so it's a later Uh, life letter then the next major category I keep looking at this because I I might write stuff up here and and I might not so um, the next major category is the theme of the letter and there's one thing it's to be encouraged by the gospel that's the reason that's the the main theme of the letter to the church in Philippi is he wants to encourage people to live in a manner worthy of the gospel calling in their life which we'll see uh, later then The next section, and this is the biggest section, is, and this is really important, this is a lot of information, but really helpful, purpose, occasion, and background. So here's what I get reading this essay, and it's only four or five paragraphs, but here's what I get. Number one, Paul loves the church at Philippi. He planted this church. He has some of his best memories and some of his biggest challenges when he's in Philippi. He loves the church in Philippi. Scholars argue, now this is outside of this essay. I just know this. Scholars argue over which was Paul's favorite church. Was it Ephesus or was it Philippi? I'm declaring right here that if you attend Redemption Arcadia... He is a Philippi guy. He loved Ephesus too, but he's a Philippi guy. Loves this church. Rich history, okay? It's the first church that he founded that's actually part of Europe. It's the first church that he founded outside of Asia Minor. So that's significant. It shows the advancement of the gospel. The first convert in Philippi... Now, this is all stuff from this essay. The first convert in Philippi was Lydia, a woman. How many know that Lydia is a significant New Testament biblical name? A woman... Do you remember what her occupation was? She was a everybody's <laughs> prostitute. They're all prostitutes in the Bible, almost. No, um, yeah, she <laughs> she was a merchant in, and specifically she dealt in apparel, especially purple apparel. So purple apparel, very expensive. Good. She, she was probably a well-to-do woman because she was dealing in purple. Purple dye was one of the most expensive things in the Mediterranean culture in that time. If you were a dealer in purple, you made money. She's the first person to... Uh, she helped plant the church in Philippi. Paul and, si- and Silas were imprisoned there for exercising a demon. The Philippian jailer and his family eventually converted. Um, Paul is also writing this letter because as he's in prison, we'll find this out in the letter, as he's in prison... A guy named Epaphroditus, how many of you have children named Epaphroditus? Did you use that as a okay? A guy named Epaphroditus delivered to Paul in Rome. see Rome way over there on the left to top left. He left Philippi. They took a collection in Philippi of money and Epaphroditus walked on the Ignatian way, which is the main Roman uh, commercial um, road in that day walked all the way to Rome and delivered this gift to Paul so that he would have sustenance while he's in prison okay bribe money probably but you know and go to the prison commissary and but I'm jo- joking about all that but they gave him this I gave him they gave him this present and so one of the reasons he's writing this letter is to thank them for this wonderful pre- so as you start to hear all this background information you know that then as you begin to read the letter, you're going you're gonna to have a lot of go... You're, oh, I see now. Oh, I get it now. Oh, I see now. This is why this is important. So he's writing to thank them for that. He's also writing to ask them to live a Christ-centered, gospel-focused life. We'll see that all over this letter. And he's writing also because... In the church at Philippi, there were two other, well, there were a lot of women in the church at Philippi, but there were two other well-known women in the church at Philippi who were leaders in the church at Philippi. Their names were, anybody know their names? Uyodia and Syntyche. Okay? Now, some people say that the proper pronunciation of Syntyche is Sintiki. I like that too. Uh, the point being is that we have two daughters, Shelby and Darby, and you can imagine what I wanted to name them, Jackie One. So uh, anyway, I thought Yodia and Syntyche would be really cool for daughters' names. Anyway, so these two women were having a conflict. They were strong leaders. The supposition is that they were strong leaders in the church, and they started to get into conflict. I know this may shock you, but sometimes there's conflict in churches. Isn't that amazing? And so he's writing to them to say, y- you two ladies that I've served in the go- for the cause of the gospel, you guys... Try to figure out how to get along, okay? So he's writing for that. We'll see that in, in there as well. Um, we also know that his potential execution was looming. He got out of jail this time. It was released this time. But he didn't know that at the time. He, when he's writing this letter, he's assuming he's probably going to be executed by the Roman authorities. So that colors what we look at too, especially in chapter 1. You'll see a passage in chapter 1 where he's using the illusion of the fact that he might be dying. Okay, um, Verse 3.14 is critical to this letter. It's not necessarily the thesis or the theme, but it is critical. Could somebody read that out loud? Three, chapter 3, verse 14. Stand up and read it loudly and boldly. So, got it Harrison? Okay. Did you say 314? 314. You got it Gina? All right. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on for the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's a key verse and when we get to chapter 3 and you see it in context, that'll be really cool as well. Uh, another significant and all again all of this is from the essay that i read in this bible okay another significant part of the of the book of philippians is what's known as the hymn of christ in chapter 2 paul actually writes in a common Christian hymn that they used to sing in the early church. He writes that in as a, as a, as a sort of sermon illustration in his letter. And we'll get, I'll point that out when we get to it and it'll be really helpful. But the essay talks about that. It's one of the most famous parts of Scripture in all of the New Testament, the hymn of Christ. And then this you also find out. Um, we say that the main theme of the book of Philippians is encouragement in the gospel. Um, the purpose of that encouragement is so that we would have joy and rejoice in the Gospel and in our salvation. The word, the Greek word that we translate either as joy or rejoice, uh, the word is karate. I can always remember that Greek word because Kramer on Seinfeld used to take karate lessons, but that's just, it's, that, that, it's that word, only not karate. Um, it's karate, and that word translated means joy or to rejoice. That word is used 17 times in this letter. 17 times in this short four-chapter letter. So that has to be, remember when David was saying, as you're making observations, look at words that are used and reused over and over and over? There's an observation for you. So that's an important part of this letter as well. So it's uh, the church. And then the next um, section in this essay is titled The Ancient City of Philippi. So it's that city there. It has a rich history. It reviews the history. It's a Greek city originally. It was conquered and rebuilt a couple of times prior to Um, The writing of this letter, the last time was somewhere in the 40s BC, before Christ was born, that it was conquered and and rebuilt. It's also a Roman colony. So it's a part of the Roman Empire. So there are Roman citizens with all of the privileges that go along with Roman citizenship living in, in Philippi. It was a good place to live in the Roman Empire. And it was on, I mentioned this earlier, it was on the road known as the Ignatian Way, which is the primary commercial road that goes through all of uh, from Rome all through Europe all through Asia Minor and into the the uh, the middle and far east the Ignatian Way very important road it's like Camelback near the Biltmore only hundreds and hundreds of miles uh, long so that's uh, helpful to know uh, as well and this this city has a rich rich history with both Greeks and Romans and then finally two more I won't even talk about one of them because you'll see why. The next major category is literary features. Literary features of this, of this document. This will help you understand how it's structured. It is, it is known as a conventional Pauline uh, Greek-styled letter. A, a Pauline meaning Paul is the author. Okay, A conventional Pauline letter that has a salutation. How you doing? I'm Paul and I'm writing to you. It has a, a paragraph of thanksgiving. I am so thankful to God for you. It has a section of prayer. I'm praying for you, and this is my prayer for you. Then it gets into the body of the letter, all the stuff about living a life worthy of the gospel. Then there is a greeting at the end. Okay, I'm signing off. Will you say hello to my friends? And then there's the benediction. Okay, so there's this structure that goes along. Okay, okay. And then the, f- the letter itself is filled with um, metaphor, lyric, and aphorism. So if you're an English major, you get all of that. Or a rhetoric major, you get all of that. It's filled with aphorism, met- uh, metaphor, and lyric. And then the last major section of this essay is known as the outline. It, and it, so the, the editors just outline the letter for you. Sort of gives you a flow of the letter. All right? So there's your background stuff. Now, how many of you know more about the document known as Philippians now than you did 20 minutes ago? All the hands should go up. Was that that hard? It wasn't that hard, was it? Okay? Was it even was it marginally or more interesting? Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe it was interesting watching me get so excited about it. Let's say that. So now, please open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. And if you don't have one, get your phone out or get next to somebody who has one. We're just going to read through it and make some observations, interpretations, and applications. So here's the greeting. Paul and Timothy. Okay, wait a minute. Nobody said anything about Timothy. All right. So go to your Bible dictionary if you really want to know who Timothy is. Read up on Timothy. You will also know that in Acts chapter 14, Paul is introduced to Timothy on his first missionary journey into Asia Minor where he's planting churches. And um, he and Timothy have a very interesting relationship. Timothy is considerably younger than Paul. He's kind of his spiritual father. In fact, um, uh, when he writes to Timothy, he writes to him as his son. He's not his biological son, but he's his, he's his Christian son. He's his, his spiritual uh, son. Um, the person I consider to be my spiritual father, Jackie's my spiritual mother. I never would have come to Christ. God used Jackie to bring me to Christ. I never would have come to Christ without Jackie. But my spiritual father is Tom Schrader, the uh, founding pastor of, of um, East Valley Bible Church, which is now... Uh, the Redemption Gilbert congregation. By the way, he is going to be here to preach on uh, Sunday, March 15th. So not this Sunday, but next Sunday. If you've never heard Tom preach, you should be here. And especially if you have little kids, you should be here to hear him preach because he's going to do some stuff on parenting. I'm I'm taking a little break from Mark just so that he can do this thing on parenting, which is terrific. Uh, It'll be wonderful. But um, he's like my spiritual father. Tom's spiritual father... Is a guy named Larry Wright. Anybody know Larry? Yeah. Okay. Just uh, th- 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 he uh, passed away 11 years ago. He passed away on Sunday morning at Northwest Christian Church at 43rd Avenue in Bell. He was 10 minutes uh, 10 minutes before he was supposed to get up and preach a message. He had a massive heart attack and was dead before he hit the ground. So he went out in the saddle. Okay. Um, but Tom, um, Larry was Tom's spiritual father. I knew I knew Larry also, but only because I knew Tom. But Larry used to write Tom uh, these notes, and, and he would write him, My dear Timothy, my dear son Timothy." So, you know, it, Tom was his little Timothy, just like Paul and, and Timothy. Anyway, now, you don't get that. You only get that from me. You don't get that from the ESV Study Bible. I'm sorry, the ESV Study Bible, but I just thought I'd tell you. So, Paul and Timothy... They're, they're, um, they're together writing this up. So Timothy is not in, in prison in Rome. He's just there with Paul ministering to him. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So right away, you, you read, make an observation. Well, they're, they're identifying themselves not as strong Jewish men or as merchants or anything their 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 identity is is what as a servant of jesus christ so you make an interpretation okay that's how they see themselves primarily their identity is not in themselves it's in jesus christ application if i'm a christian my primary identity should be in christ also not in not in anything else it's not bad to have these other identities but your primary identity should be in christ two all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So he's writing to the entire church there. He's writing everybody who's in Philippi. Anybody who's going to be around to hear this letter, he's writing to them. And it's interesting that he writes to the saints in Christ Jesus. Um, We have some traditions where we believe that saints... Uh, are 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 defined by the fact that they're dead, but these are saints who are alive. And so you could make the interpretation and the application that anybody who is in Christ is a saint. You're a saint right now. Now I know that some of you are sitting next to your spouses or your um your fiance or whatever, and you're going, I'm not a saint, no. But in Christ, they are a saint. We're sinners saved by grace. We are in Christ. I'm going to mention this this uh, Sunday. Um, Luther used to, uh, the great reformer Luther used to teach all the time that we are simultaneously justified and yet sinners. Simultaneously justified and yet sinners. It's a weird thing. We're sinning, 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 but Jesus sees us, I mean God sees us as justified because we are saints in Christ. Uh, And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a little blessing for them there. And you can sense that he's By this language, you can sense that he's done with the greeting. Okay, so now he's moving on to the next thing. The ESV study Bible gives us a helpful heading there and says, now here comes the thanksgiving and prayer. So verses 3 through 11 are going to be the thanksgiving and prayer. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. That, that's, a, that's a great, deep... Pr- How many of us pray this way? I, I thank God for my wife Jackie and the partnership that we have. I thank God for my friends. I thank God for my RC and the partnership. So now, I'm not, I'm not giving you the steps. I'm just doing it now. Do you see this? I just want to do it. Okay? I just want to do it, all right? So this is an amazing, just right away, just this, this amazing prayer that's so much deeper than most of us when we sit down. I'm make, I'm, I know that sounds judgmental. I'm assuming you pray the way I do, which is not that well. So <clears throat> these are, this is a deep, deep prayer. And then verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's a cr- Wow. He who began a good work in you will complete it. Who's the he? It's Jesus. Who's doing the work? Jesus. Who's going to complete the work? Jesus. Who is this about? Jesus. You see how observation, interpretation, application. See how easy that was? And yet, how profound that is? How many of us are just certain that this is all about us or dependent upon us or maybe we can manipulate it to be a little bit about us? It's all about Jesus. He started the work in you. He's going to continue the work in you. He's going to complete the work in you. You could sit there and just pray about that that verse and meditate on that verse for 30 minutes and it would not be a wasted minute in that. You see that? Okay. And then uh, verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers of me, uh, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, listen to this verse. Just make some observations here, okay? What is Paul's reputation? Really cerebral, sort of angry. You know, executing church discipline to those Corinthians. You know, really teaching biblical doctrine. Kind of think of Paul with his big nose and a finger outstretched in your face. Listen to this verse. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. This is a guy who loves jealously, yes, but he also loves thunderously. He loves with deep, compassion and affection he loves with his heart not just with his mind you start to really slow down and read this stuff in the bible and you begin to see that some of these caricatures of these bible um, characters that we have are are grossly inaccurate this is a paul this is a paul is a guy with a with a tremendous heart uh, for people and and he and he keeps talking about how um, you see in here that, that it's, it's because of grace that they have this bond. Grace, the unmerited favor of God, the fact that we didn't do anything to merit this favor from God, and yet in his love, grace, and mercy, he reaches out to save us. Okay? For God is my witness. Now, it's kind of like a little bit of a, um, uh, what do you call it? A, uh, an oath. God is my witness. It's, it's kind of like he's saying, I swear to God. Okay. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer. Other translations say, uh, say it this way. It's a, it's a minor change, but it's, it's, it's significant. And this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see how everything he's... He loves these people, but he's point, he just keeps pointing them to Jesus. The Gospel. Jesus. Everything is being pointed that way. And here's one observation for you. Now, again... You got to spend some time in the text to start making some of these observations, but this is why we're telling you to slow down and read formationally and not informationally. You see, it says, and my prayer for you is that your love may abound more and more. What do What do you and I think of in our culture that love is? What is love? <sighs> now, I am just got done talking about how compassionate and a- a- affective Paul is, okay, but it's just, it's, it's, it, it, in our culture, love is, love is something that comes and goes and, it feel, and, and you're just you're prancing in the meadows and everything's so wonderful and the, the hair is flowing and even for me. And, you know, it's just, oh, I just feel so wonderful, isn't it? What? Uh, no, he says, your love may abound more and more with what? Knowledge. And so now the guy with the heart is saying, ah, but don't neglect the importance of your brain and reason. You need to know who Jesus is and you need to know the Gospel and you need to discern what His will is and what His wisdom is and what's important to Him. This is deep, deep stuff. And it's great. So he says, my prayer is that your love would abound with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what's excellent so that you would be able to discern God's will and wisdom. That's what he's saying. That you would live according to the the Gospel call in your life for you, no, to the praise and glory of God. Then we get into the body of the letter. I'm going to... Okay. So much for Amos. Um, I want you to know, brothers, by the way, he's not dissing women. If anybody in the, in the New Testament was pro-women other than Jesus, it was Paul. Again, he gets a bad rap there. Just because he says this is just a cultural thing. He said brothers. He meant brothers and sisters too. You sisters are included in this. Okay, I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really what has happened to him. He's been thrown in prison. I want you to know brothers that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I'm in prison and it's advancing the gospel. Okay, I go to prison. What am I going to do? What a bunch of crap! Isn't it? I got a raw deal, you know. I thought Rome had a freedom of speech thing in the constitution, you know. And okay, no. I want you to know that what's happening to me is really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So he's going. These guards that are guarding me in these in this prison, they would never be exposed to the gospel if I hadn't been sent here to prison. God knows what's best. God is in control. God is sovereign. He's got this figured out. Do you see that? So he's saying, look, this wasn't my plan. His plan was to go to Rome and hang out at the church and evangelize people. Yes, he went to Rome, not under his plan, but under God's plan. And look at what's happening here. Uh, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So there you can see, that we talk about application, there's people in his day who are applying what happened to Paul to their own lives. Look at Paul. He's he's rejoicing that he's in prison for the gospel. I guess maybe I could be a little bit more bold about preaching the gospel as well. You and I could be a little bit more, we're not going to go to prison, at least not right now, for preaching the gospel. We're not going to go to prison. We could be a little bit more bold about it here. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from good will. Okay, now isn't that interesting? So now he's just lo- throwing in this little slight that, you know, there are people who, can you believe it? There are, there are people who lead Christian churches for, um, with wrong motives. Can you believe that? That's, that's a 2,000-year-old tradition, my brothers and sisters, you know, this is why you should test and approve everything, even your pastor. Okay? So he says, look, some, in, some preach Christ from envy and rivalry but, and others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed And in that I rejoice. So he's going, look, you know what? I don't even care if they're gaining at my expense by preaching the gospel. The point is what? Gospel's being preached. Do you think Paul is a gospel-centered person? Do you want to know how to get your name in the Bible? Never mind. Okay. So I'm, I'm starting to move a little bit more quickly, but are you getting the flavor of this? Okay. And watch how it just continues to flow. Yes, this is uh, the middle of verse 18. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, this next paragraph. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's saying, I know I might be executed, but I'm, I'm beginning to feel right now that I might get out. And he does end up getting out. But watch what happens in this passage. As it is my eager expectation and hope That I will not be at all ashamed, in other words, I won't be executed. But now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Now he's saying, It doesn't matter. I think I'm gonna get out, but it doesn't matter whether I'm whether I'm executed or whether I live, Christ is going to be honored. For to me, how many of you have heard this before? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's that's a great verse, okay? So I, I am I am I call myself this all the time. I, I'm a Philippians one Christian. Okay? Before I became a Christian, I was scared to death of dying. Now I'm not trying to die. I'm not hoping to die. But in a sense, I look forward to it because I know that when I die, absent the body, present with I'm gonna be with Jesus. That's as good as Arcadia is, it's gonna be a, the coffee is gonna be a little bit better even with Jesus than in Arcadia, okay? It's it's going to be good. Paul is saying, look, I'm okay if I live. I'm okay if I die because if I die, I gain Christ, okay? Um, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor to me. If I'm going to go on living, I get to pastor this church. That's pretty awesome, okay? Uh, that's me speaking. This is me making application here. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell as if he has a choice, but he's just... This is a rhetorical device. He's wrestling with himself and he's showing them that they should be wrestling with this as well. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. In other words, I'm pretty sure God is saying your work's not done here. You still need to do this work, this, this missional work. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy, there's that word joy again, in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to uh, to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Then, this next paragraph, verses 27 through 30. Now, you don't get this from the study Bible, but if you were to pick up any other commentary and just read about the book of Philippians, chances are probably 80 or 90 percent that the author of that commentary would say the thesis statement of the entire book of Philippians is in verses 27 through 30. Now, the, the essay in the ESV study Bible alluded to this, but didn't definitively say it's based in these four verses, but it alluded to this. It says this book is for encouragement And it's for us to live gospel-centered lives. It said that in there. And here's where you get that. Listen to this paragraph. This is one of the most magnificent paragraphs you're ever going to read. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Other people translate that as um, only live a life worthy of the calling that you have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live up to this. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you I might hear about you from other people that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Now just reading that, what do you think the context of the Philippians is in their church at this time? What's going on in the church in Philippi? Think about it. Let me let me read it again, okay? Let your manner be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I might hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything from your opponents. What's going on? They're being persecuted, they're being oppressed, yes. So he's writing to encourage them in the midst of this persecution and oppression. Do you ever feel persecuted or oppressed because You know, somebody sees that you're reading a Bible or you talk about going to church and they mock you and they laugh at you or whatever. This is a great letter for encouragement uh, in that regard. Verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. (laughs) Yes, I love this. I love this, okay? I don't love suffering. I just love the fact that so many people come to Christianity because they think it'll remove all their temporal suffering. And, and, and Paul's going, listen, you need to believe in Christ, but you need to understand that that's going to lead to some suffering for you. If Christ suffered, what makes you think you're going to be exempt from the suffering? Are you better than Jesus? Doubt it. You're going to suffer because Christ suffered. But I'm encouraging you in the midst of that that you're going to suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. In other words, Paul is in prison for his faith. He's telling the church at Philippi, don't be surprised if the, if the Roman uh, centurions come and knock on your door too and haul you off to prison for your faith. Be ready for that. Okay? Um, then verse two, uh, chapter 2. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. In other words, he's saying, listen, in your persecution, in your oppression, what happens when people get persecuted and oppressed? They start to fight within themselves. They start to look at who's at fault. They start to they start to be divided and split and he's saying you have to you have to remain unified in the gospel for this fight when churches have infighting and split and and people get angry and there's gossip there's only one person who's just thrilled to death with that and who is that satan Satan. that's exactly right he loves it when we're angry with each other and we're bickering and gossiping and this petty back and forth stuff and all that garbage. He loves that. Paul's saying, listen, you need to be of one spirit having the same mind, the same love. And then verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Well, I'm sorry, I added that word vain because many of the other translations have it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing out of self-centeredness, but in humility count others more significant. Yourselves, wow, how, how are you doing? And you can ask me the same question how, how am I doing? How are you doing at living such a humble life that you believe everybody else is more important and better than you? How are you doing with that? How did you do with that the last time you were in traffic? Right, and yet, and yet, here you go. And I understand we need to be focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ, but let me just make this pitch. What if every person in the world lived with Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 as their life verse? That in humility, they were going to submit themselves to everybody else. Do you think our world would be a little bit better? It's not a trick question. Okay? So he says this, and then in verse 4, he says, um, Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, it's okay that you take care of your stuff. It's okay that you have your own stuff, Right? This is not a hard observation, interpretation, or application to make, right? But also, as you're doing that, you need to be aware of everybody else's as well. Anybody here ever been in, here's some application. Anybody here ever been in conflict? Okay, when you're in conflict, how often do you think, um, I am 0% at fault for this uh, conflict, and the other person is, be honest now, 100% at fault for this conflict. Okay, here's what Paul is saying. We're all in this together we're all we're all going to be screwed up we're all going to be looking out for our own interests we need to be looking we need to have empathy we need to understand we need to have the humility to understand that we're not the center of the universe here that's just easy good application and then he, look at what happens next and then we get into this hymn of christ it starts in verse five um have the mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Other interpretations say it this way. Have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. The same mind. In other words, it's a, it's a poetic way of saying you need to perceive reality through the lens of Jesus Christ. Whatever your perception of reality is, it's wrong because it's influenced by the world. If you want a correct perception of reality, put on the mind of Christ so that you see through his lens. And then he gives, and then he does the Christian hymn. He says, "And here's my sermon illustration. I'm going to give you Christ Himself." Now, uh, very, very important. This is part of application. You think these things through. Um, Jesus should be a good example to us, right? We agree with that. That's not a trick question. He's, it, we can look at his life and go. There are patterns in his life that we should try to emulate. He's a good exemplar for us. Correct? Isn't that right? But can we do everything Jesus did? No, why? Because we're not Jesus. We're not God, okay? So we have to remember that, that Jesus is not just our example, that He is our Savior because we do fall short. But in this area of humility, we can certainly follow in His footsteps. That's what Paul is saying here. And he gives us the illustration as to why. Starting in verse 6, um, same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, Jesus, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Remember last week I said how uh, humans love position because we think that's where power is? Jesus had the ultimate position. He's God and He's going, that's not important to grasp and hold on to. I'm not interested in power. He's God. And He's going, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in serving. That's a pretty good example, okay? I can't wait to get that next promotion so I can get all those other chumps underneath me and fix their wagon. We might want to modify that view of the chumps underneath you a little bit if you're, if you're gospel-centered, okay? Now, I understand structure in the marketplace and all that, but again, trying to give you a new lens here, Okay? who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, I want you to understand that that, um, uh, scholars tell you that if you have an ESV study Bible, it's in in the study Bible notes underneath here, that this was... Uh, what he's doing here, verses 6 through 11, is actually a hymn that was put to music and they used to sing this in the early church. Okay, But the scholars also will tell you that, that that last little part at the end of verse 7, I'm sorry, verse 8, even death on a cross was added by Paul to make the point that Jesus humbled himself even to the point of going to the most shameful and excruciating place for execution. On our behalf, he did it for us. He did it to serve us. Okay, Therefore, Is there any service that is beneath us to other people? Given this as an example, the answer would be no. Oh, okay. This is kind of high high calling. Therefore, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory of God the father in other words here's how uh here's how bill hybels uh summarizes this he says that if you want greatness you have to descend you have to descend into it that isn't that a radical way of thinking about greatness most of us we think of greatness and it's just climbing those those rungs we got to we got to climb up and and as we're going up we're going to be standing on people's shoulders and smashing their head down and that's how and he and, and here's what Paul is saying he's saying if you want to be great you need to descend the first will be last and the last will be first okay that's that's the gospel way and then he says starting in verse 12 therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Again, you have to read this whole thing in context. How many times have you heard somebody say, You have to work out your salvation? You. You have to work out your salvation. Is there another verse? Not that I can remember. Yes, there is another verse right after it, and what does that verse say? It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Who's doing the work? God, yeah. Now, I know some of you, like me, I'm lazy and comforts my idol. So I'm like, oh, good. I don't have to do anything. No, God is leading you. He's doing the work. He's leading you. You, you are still responding to his call in your life, okay? Verse 14, do all, here you go. This is, this is just perfect for the 21st century and the 20th century and the 19th century and all the other centuries. Do, do all things without grumbling or disputing. How are we doing on that? <laughs> now, by, again, by, this is just a little thing for me. I just love this. Um, you know what an onomatopoeia is? Okay, what's an onomatopoeia? Who knows? It sounds like what it means. Very good. We got some good English people in here. Okay, so, so in the Greek, that word grumbling, okay, it's an onomatopoeia, it's gongousmas. Okay, all right, all right. I want everybody for the next 10 seconds out loud to repeat the Greek word over and over, gongousmas, mas. Gangusmas, gongousmas, gongousmas. gongousmas, gongousmas. sounds like everybody's grumbling and complaining. See that? Okay, anyway. Yeah, I know. Frank, that's in the, what you, okay. I'm just throwing that in to keep you awake, okay? All right, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and and twisted generation. I am so glad that the generations are no longer crooked and and twisted, aren't you? That was only a first century phenomenon, specifically in Philippi where they were crooked and twisted. Okay, you're getting the satire there, right? Okay, that's good. But you see the application. Oh, this stuff is going on and on and on, okay? Okay. Uh, in the midst of a crooked generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. What's the application there? We're lights to the world. Yes, we're different. Not odd, by the way. (laughs) Our goal isn't to be odd, but we are different. It's true that people should be able to look at us and go, I can't really put my finger on it, but... She's different. She got turned down for that promotion and she's whistling. What is wrong with her? I need to ask her about that. Okay, I don't find my identity in the promotion. I wanted the promotion. That would have been nice, but it wasn't God's will at this time and I believe in, you know, and you end up having these conversations. Okay? I'll tell you, this happens all the time for, to me. Not because I'm so great, but because Jesus is great. I have to make that disclaimer. This isn't about me. It happens all the time to me at Paradise Valley Community College. All the time, students start off very leery of me because I tell them on the first day that my other job, my real job, is that I pastor a um, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, evangelical Christian church. I don't pull any punches on that. I use all of those metaphors, all of those um, adjectives to describe what I do, and and so they start off a little leery of me. And by usually by halfway through the semester, they're confiding in me. They're coming to me because they know that there's something different there and that maybe I have a different perspective and a different slant. It's amazing uh, how many of these students end up at the churches I lead. It's amazing how many of these students I end up m- officiating their weddings. They get back in church. I, I can't tell you how many parents have come to me and said, I didn't think my kid would ever go back to church. And then they took your communication class in a community college, no less. We need to be lights, And you can do that anywhere, not just at a community college. This is why, by the way, some of you may wonder, why does he even teat? What what is the deal with that? Are they not paying him enough at the church? I'm being paid fine at the church. Believe me, if you knew what adjunct instructors at the community colleges make, you'd know I'm not doing it for the money. I'm doing it because I love being out there with this next generation of, of people who aren't Christians. I'm doing it for that. If I didn't, I would get into my little Christian church um, um, confined area and I would never talk to anybody. It, it's just so easy to get to just sort of withdraw and I don't want to withdraw. Anyway, so we're going to shine uh, like lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. My work was, was, was uh, fruitful. He's saying, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering, Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. So there's a little community building that Paul is doing. We should do community building as well. He's saying, I rejoice in you. You're rejoicing in me. Do we rejoice in each other? Okay? I tell people all the time, I rejoice in the fact that I get to lead a redemption congregation in Arcadia. This This is not a bad job. It's not a bad job, okay. Um, I'm thankful that it's more than a job. It is a vocation and a calling, but I'm—I I rejoice in the fact that I get to do, most of the time. I rejoice in the fact that I get to do this, okay. And then there's this, the rest of chapter two is this section on Timothy and Epaphroditus. So we'll go quickly through this, but I want to read it all so we can say we read the whole letter. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that uh, I too may be cheered by news of you. I'm going to send Timothy to find out what's happening with you guys. This is how they would communicate back then. They didn't have internet or email or texting or tweeting or any of that stuff, okay? Uh, Back in the first century, before there was Facebook, they would get their actual faces together from time to time. That's what they did. Okay? Uh, For I I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth how as a, a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So again, Paul reiterates the fact that he thinks he's going to get out of prison. But he's also, again, showing how tender his heart is towards his young protege, Timothy, who at this time is actually the pastor of Ephesus but was in uh, Rome visiting um, Paul at the time. And if you see where Ephesus is, you know that in order to get back to Ephesus, he's got to go through Philippi. Okay, uh, And then he brings up Epaphroditus. This is the guy who delivered the gift to Paul in prison from the church in Philippi. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. There's where we get that. he was, He was their messenger and he ministered to Paul by giving him the gift. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Apparently, when he got to Rome, he was very sick. Indeed, he was ill. He was near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul would have been very sad if Epaphroditus had died. I am the more eager to send him to you, therefore, that you may rejoice in seeing him again, that I may also be less anxious on your behalf. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. That's an interesting way of phrasing that Paul felt like maybe they owed him a little money. Okay? Some some people have looked at that and said is Paul being a little snarky there? No, it's just his way of saying you said you were going to help me and, and I'm glad that you finally did help me because the f- church at Philippi had promised him over and over they they were going to help him. Now, chapter 3 filled with all kinds of great stuff. Finally, my brothers, and some of you're going, "Finally, you use the word finally. Are we almost over?" Not quite, two more chapters. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. There's joy again. Rejoice. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Don't worry, you'll be okay. I know you're being oppressed. So you see how reading this all together, you start to see these themes strung together and you start to understand why he's saying certain things at certain points in the letter. Now watch this. He gets a little nasty now. Look out for the dogs. Really? Are there like pit bulls in Philippi? This is metaphor. This is metaphor, metaphorical language. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What? what might the term mutilate the flesh be referring to? Circumcision. He's still angry at the Judaizers for saying that yes, in Christ we are saved, but to be fully Christian, you also have to get circumcised if you're a male, which some people have said would be a tremendous barrier to evangelicalism for adult males. Okay? Especially in a day when there was no anesthesia. All right? So he says, for we are the circumcision. In other words, this physical circumcision isn't the real salvation. We are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. Genuine circumcision is spiritual, not physical. Do you see that? So if you you start to understand that that he's using literary devices here. He's using, he's using poetic language. He's using metaphor and aphorism and, and simile and all of those things. You begin to see what he's, what he's really meaning here. Um, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. We have no confidence that we get circumcised. That's, that's not where our confidence is. Our confidence is in Christ. Not in our works, not in the things that we do. Though I myself, And then he says, by the way, if you think you're confident because of you got circumcised, okay, check out how confident. I, now let's compare resumes, okay? Let's see who's really the stud here when it comes to works, religious works. Let's see, look at my, uh, my resume. Though I myself have reason to be confident in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for, to be confidence, co- for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. So not the 7th, not the ninth. There must be something significant about the 8th day, right? And if you really want to know what it is, you can go to your Bible dictionary and find out what it means to be circumcised on the 8th day. That's when all real proper Jews get circumcised. Not on the 7th, not on the ninth, but on the 8th day. Okay? I was circumcised on the 8th day. Of the people of Israel, I'm a Jew. I'm not only of the people of Israel, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Widely regarded as the best tribe they won the latest poll for the best tribe of, of, of Israel. Okay. Um, I'm out of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's like, that's like LeBron James going, I'm the basketball player of all basketball players or the true basketball player of all basketball players, Michael Jordan. For those of you who are younger, he played for the bulls a long time ago. Okay. Um, and wears underwear, I guess. So, um, Okay, as to the law, I'm a Pharisee. Now, you do some deeper investigation into Paul, you know that he was a Pharisee. And not only was he a Pharisee, but he was the prized student of the greatest Pharisee who has ever lived in history, a guy named Gamaliel. He's widely regarded as the, as the greatest Pharisee who ever lived. Paul was his prized student. Paul has, Paul has serious lineage here, serious ancestry here. Okay? And he's listing he's saying, Look, don't put your confidence in flesh. If anyone has confidence in flesh, I do. Look at all the stuff I've done. As to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. As to zeal, I'm a persecutor of the church. Then he writes this But whatever gain I had, I counted all of that stuff as gain. Whatever I gain I had, I now count it as loss for the sake of all of that stuff, all those awards, all the resume stuff. Okay, it might get me a job somewhere, but when it comes to eternal life, it counts as nothing. It's only Christ that counts. Again, he's exalting Christ. Watch how he encourages them time and time again to exalt Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What's the most important asset in your life? Knowing Christ. Nothing else. It's not that those other things aren't important, but knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because it's pathing worth uh, uh, of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Uh, A lot of people make a big deal, by the way, out of that Greek word that's translated rubbish. Anybody know that Greek word? It's skubala, and it literally means dung or crap. It literally, in the Greek, it means a combination between a combination of feces and garbage, which is crap. Okay, I'm on the audio here. Crap. I just that's going to go out all over the internet. There's a four-letter word in the in the Bible. Okay, that's it. Scubula. So, so next time you hit your thumb with a hammer, go scubula, and you know. All right. Here we go. Um, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, which is so hard to keep up with anyway, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of the resurrection. This is what He wants to know. I want to know Him, Jesus, the power of the resurrection. And that I may share in his sufferings. That's the second time he said that in this letter. That you're going to suffer if you're in Christ. The second time he says that here. That I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I need to die to myself, just like Jesus died to himself so that he could serve others. I need to die to myself. What does Jesus say in Mark chapter 8? If anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves. They must die to themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. Okay, and we'll expand on that when we get to Mark chapter 8. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection. I'll, I'll do anything to be in Christ. That's my greatest treasure. Is that your greatest treasure? There's your application. Is this really my greatest treasure? Or did I just sort of uh, decide I'm going to live my life with Jesus stuck on as an addendum? Okay? And then this next uh, little bit. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Can I get an amen? Right? Has anybody else attained it? Is anybody else perfect? Okay. Um, uh, But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The reason he presses on is not to gain Christ. He presses on because Christ has already taken him. You see that? You see how we always get this backwards? I got to do this to be counted worthy of God. And Paul's saying, no, you already are worthy of God. So now you respond by living your life a particular way. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Application. How many of you are so mired in the guilt of your sin that it that it paralyzes you from going forward in life? Anybody ever run into that? You ever get feel guilty about your sin and your You're wondering if you can go forward. Here's what Paul's saying. It's paid for. It's done in Christ. Tom used this illustration one time. He says, uh, for the non-Christian, it's like you're you're walking around with this big ball and chain your whole life. And that ball and chain is the guilt of your sin. And you're walking around with this. Jesus comes down with these huge cosmic chain cutters and, and through the cross and the resurrection, He takes those chain cutters and He cuts that chain and ball off of your leg. And we're free. And then what do most of us do after he cuts that ball and chain off? We bend down and pick up the ball and we're just determined to carry that guilt around with us. Paul's going, no, no. Get rid of that. Look, I know you did some crappy stuff. We all do, okay? I got that. But understand that it's done in, in, in Christ. And and I love this other, um, this other uh, imagery that he uses here. And you can just think about these things. If, you, if you're a runner or you play football or you're a swimmer, what are they always telling you? Never look at who's chasing you. Never look at who's behind you because the minute you do, you're breaking stride and it's going to catch up with you. He's saying the same thing. I'm forgetting what lies behind because I don't want to give it a chance to catch up with me. You see that? Okay. So some really good imagery here. I press on to the goal of the uh, prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way and if anything, and, and, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you also. That's a really encouraging verse. In other words, you, know, you can have some, some incorrect understandings of Christianity, but if you're in Christ, don't worry. Eventually, God's going to get around to helping you with that. That should be, that should be helpful to you. Okay, oh, I wonder if I got this doctrine right. I hope I'm counted acceptable in my doctrine ease. I hope I know this teaching is correct. What do I do if it's wrong? Holy Spirit's going to help you out with that. It should be encouraging to you, okay? Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, not that he's Jesus, but because he's saying as I imitate Jesus, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom, now he talks a little trash. For many of whom I have, uh, I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. How many of you could, my, my belly could be, believe me, my belly could be my God. I am constantly on platform on Sunday morning talking about Doritos, Cheetos, ice cream, donuts, all this stuff. I, seriously, steak, okay. The occasional salad. Tom Schrader once said, the only thing I eat that's green is chocolate mint ice cream. He's got this problem too, okay? <laughs> all right? So their God is their stomach. But in, it's interesting, if you really study it, you begin to understand that it's not really the stomach that he's talking about. He's using the stomach as a metaphor for all of the wrong desires that we have in life. So it could be anything that's wrong. It could be sexual uh, in a, uh, um, misappropriation. Okay? uh, Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus. You understand that we're living here now, but we are really not citizens of this world. We're living here temporarily. Okay? Our citizenship is in heaven. We await uh, from it. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That's going to be awesome. I am so sick and tired of my 55-year-old body continuing to betray me. I cannot wait till I get that new Brad Pitt body in the New Jerusalem. It's going to be awesome or even better than Brad Pitt. Tom Cruise. <laughs> Jack Reacher. No shirt. Marky Mark. Okay, let's, let's get back here, all right? Uh, who will transform our lower body, be like his glorious body, by the power that enables us, uh, enables him even to subject uh, to all things, all things to himself. Let me check time. All right, I got nine minutes to do chapter four. We'll do um, just the background of Amos next week. And uh, we'll also, um, uh, I believe, um, yes, uh, David is gonna do a, a really short minor prophet next week. Okay, so he's going to do like Joel or Malachi, something that we'll be able to go through pretty quickly. That's what, We're going to do this again um, just, to, just to get you used to being able to do this. All right, so now, chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. When was the last time somebody walked up to you and said, you are the one I love and long for, you are my joy and my crown? Wouldn't that be encouraging if somebody would do that to you? Now, I'm not necessarily saying you should do that to somebody at, tr- at work. They might think you're a little weird, especially if it's a different sex, okay? But, th- but we should be thinking in ways, what's, what's a contemporary way of doing this sort of thing? Stand firm thus in the Lord. Stand firm, my beloved, in the Lord. And then here you go. Here's Uyoria and Syntiki or Syntike. I entreat Uyoria and I entreat Syntike to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. If you want to investigate who Clement is, you can go into your Bible dictionary and do all that stuff. Important guy in the the history of the church. But otherwise, you can also just read this and go, oh, that's Joe or somebody from the, the church there. Just another person in the church, okay? But by the way, look, these two women did what with Paul? What did they do with him? They labored side by side for the gospel with him. Okay? That's what we do in the church, is we labor side by side in the gospel. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That word could also be translated, by the way, gentleness. Be gentle. Okay? The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything uh, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray. There's the application. I made an observation. I'm interpreting. Here's the application. Pray. This is why we're going through chapter four much faster, okay? And the peace of God is, Which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Have you ever been in the middle of something really horrible and the peace of God surrounds you and you're like, this makes no sense and it's beyond my understanding, but I have a peace about this horrible thing that's happening? Okay? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Here's the application there. What you dwell on, what your mind goes to, what you think about during the day, matters. It matters what you think about. If you're thinking about sin and lust and treachery all day long, it's going to affect you adversarially. So Paul says, think about these good things. And whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord great. Now he's winding it up. He's winding it up now. I rejoice in the Lord greatly. There's that word karate again. In the Lord greatly that now at length you have renewed your concern for me. You finally sent the money. (laughs) Okay, that's what he's saying. You finally sent the money and I'm glad I needed it. I needed that $2 Gatorade. Okay, You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. In other here's, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I know you were concerned, but you guys had a bad economic time and, time and couldn't show it in a tangible way. That's what he's saying. So I get that. I get that you couldn't send any money. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. What does that tell you about contentment? You have to learn it. Yes, thank you. You, you have to act. If you want to be content, you have to look around at who you are, where you are, who you're with, and what you have, and learn to be satisfied with that. Not this constant thinking that you and I have of, I have this, but if I only had a little bit more, I'd be happy. It's the line from the most recent Wall Street, the Wall Street 2 when Josh Brolin, when, when Shia LaBeouf says, how much is enough? And he says, more. It's always going to be more. There is no, he has no number. It's always more. Paul's saying, you, you have to learn how to be content. Perseverance, patience, contentment, those are things that are not gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're things that we learn by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the difference? They're not gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're things that we learn by the power of the Holy Spirit by going through those kinds of things that cause that call us to be content and patient and to persevere. Uh, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. I, I, know, I know how to live in poverty, I know how to live with a lot of wealth. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing, uh, facing plenty and facing hunger facing abundance and facing need, I can do all things through Him, Jesus, who strengthens me. That's where my power is. My power is not in my brains or my intellect or my creativity, though those are not bad things, those are good things, but my true and ultimate power is in Christ. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. Thanks for sending the money. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, and you would know from reading Acts what he's referring to here, no church, centered, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once, uh, once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I'm not seeking money so that I can have money. I'm seeking the fact that you have a servant's heart and are blessed in that. You see that? Okay. Um, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will supply every one of our needs. Now, I know for some of you, you're thinking, I really need Mastro's or Roos Chris. What God may decide you need is Oscar Mayer. And I understand there's a big difference there, but at least he's supplying your need. How many of you at one time in your life were very thankful for Top Ramen? I still am. I still am. It's the best 25-cent meal you're ever going to have. Okay? Um, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Final greetings. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. He's gone. you know my captors? <laughs> the ones that have me in captivity? The ones who are oppressing me, uh, they're sending their greetings to you. That's awesome. I think that's awesome. And then the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. That's the book of Philippians. I hope that was of some benefit to you. I think it's magnificent. We're done for this evening